All right, friends, say it with me. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was... Welcome to week eight of our seven-week series. <laughs> Some of you were wondering, what's going on? Why are they playing that video? <laughs> no, so what we... we, we uh, on Baptism Sunday, we leave it really flexible just to see what God wants to do, what he wants to say on a Baptism Sunday. And so we have uh, several people baptized next, next service. And so I was feeling like we needed one final week. And I'm going to sneak this one in here because there was one area that we didn't really cover. And it has to do with baptism. It, has to, it connects with the life of the family. And so, so this is week eight of our seven-week series. And as we said Baptism Sunday, what we're doing is we're watching people die to their old life. They go under the water, they rise to new life in Christ as they come up out of the water, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to the Apostle Paul talk about baptism. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's beautiful. Now there's a lot of we's in there, right? All of us who were baptized, that we would live a new life. See, as we come up out of the water, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we together experience this new life. Now here's the deal. When we come up out of the water, we are born again into a life of individualism. Thank you. No. Just shout it out. No. That is not true. When we come up out of the water, we are born again into a family. Into a family. And you and I are born into the family of faith. This is Jesus' family. And the Christian life is not one of individualism. But if it's, it's joining a people, it's a kingdom, it's what Peter calls a holy nation, a community, a family, a body, right? All of the metaphors for who we are together. We are delivered, and here's what I want to say today, we are delivered from the schemes of the devil together, together. We are able to stand against the devil's schemes together as a church, as the people of God were delivered from the enemy. The church, in its life together, pow, is the epicenter of the victory of Jesus over the darkness. That's a mouthful. Let's say it again. The church, in its life together, is the epicenter of the victory of Jesus over the darkness. There we go. You cannot do this alone. You weren't meant to do it alone. We need to do this together. And so Jesus, we thank you that you're our king. We pray that in the coming minutes you would inspire us, that we would move out of isolation and into community where we are able to defeat the schemes of the devil. And Lord, we know you've made us to be a family. You've made us for community. You have not made us to do this journey of faith alone. And so we ask that for each of us in the room that you would point us to the next step in greater accountability, greater relationship, um, greater nearness to one another as we walk this road together and watch you deliver us from darkness. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Sometimes in preparation for messages, uh, I go down really weird rabbit trails. 
uh, as I start to kind of work with an idea. And so I will share one with you. I've never gone down this rabbit trail before, but here it is. I was learning all about animals and how animals operate as a team. It's crazy. Have you guys looked into this? This is, it's wild. Uh, I probably spent a little too much time looking into it, but that's okay. I'm gonna share with you what I learned. Okay, so I hope I'm getting this right. Some of you guys who are like uh, into animals, you might have to correct me. But anyway, this is what I found. So humpback whales, they work, to create, work together to create bubble nets to trap fish. Bubble nets? You heard of this? Never heard of this in my life. Humpback whales, it's amazing. They work together. Did you know the herds of elephants are able to have this incredible, like, empathy for one another? Have you seen this? They can empathize with each other. It's wild to watch it happen. There's this, this deep connection in the herd. Uh, or what about a pod of orcas? They are comprised of multiple generations, and they have this incredible coordination in hunting. They have these sophisticated strategies where they surround these schools of fish with waves. They create these waves, and they're all, they're all working together, these poor fish. They, they, they're not going to be able to escape this, this, these moves, right? It's amazing. Did you know that bison... When they're being attacked, what they do is they look outward, they create this wall, and they put all of their vulnerable young in the middle, safely enclosed in the center, and they provide this kind of wall. It's unreal. Did you know that a pride of lions is made up of these lionesses who work together with these unreal hunting skills? They, they, they have these, and, and a pride has these strong social bonds where they nurture and guide their young, imparting to them these amazing gifts of survival. By the way, as I say all this, you should be thinking about the church, right? Right? Thinking about imparting upon the young this power of community, this power of empathy, hunting. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but it's like, but, but then there's the wolf pack, right? It's the wolf pack. It's, they're unreal. Incredible animals who are social. They have this complex communication system where they can signal danger to one another. I find it's just unbelievable. And what's my point? When animals are alone, they're vulnerable, right? They're vulnerable to attack. But when they're together, they're unbelievably strong. And just, just as a humorous thing, I saw a family of river otters attack a leopard. Have you ever seen something like that? That's unreal, right? These little river otters attacking a leopard. See, it's the power of these animals that could be weak on their own, but together they can do something unbelievably strong. And here's the deal. One of, in the spiritual world, one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to isolate us, right? Is to cut us off from our people. It, it, it's to remove us from the pack. It's one of his greatest moves. When we're alone, we're in, we're in greater danger. And the enemy of our soul loves to get us alone. As I look back on those years during COVID, I think that is one of the, um, one of, one of the ways in which he moved in, in pretty strong ways is to, is to get us alone. Um, on our screens, pulled away from each other. Loneliness feels like an epidemic these days. And it's heartbreaking to think about loneliness in the church. You know, that breaks my heart because the richness of our life together is right here. It's, it's right here. And, and, and yet I know that many of you will still come to North Langley and feel alone, which is heartbreaking. 
But today, I want us to capture a vision together that we're not alone. That if you are in Christ, then you are in his body. You're part of his family. You are a son and daughter of the king, which means you have siblings in the kingdom. You're not alone. And, and this baptism was a death to individualism. And you've been raised with Christ. And you're part of his family. You're part of a people, a community, a tribe. And so the victory of Jesus will be experienced in community. The victory of Jesus in my own life was only done through community. I see the way he used people in my life to rescue me from the, from the, from the devil's schemes. And, and I want to just say this. The victory of Jesus is experienced in the church. It's experienced in the church. Let's read Acts 2, 42 to 47. We normally read this good three to four times a year. Here we go. They devoted themselves. These are the early Christians after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Listen to their life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the inspiring passage as we look back to the early church to see their fellowship in the Greek, it's koinonia. It wasn't just a whatever, kind of a random fun time, a casual pop-in, right? They devoted themselves to the koinonia, to the fellowship. Devoted in the Greek, proskartereo. The word means devoted, steadfast, continuing all the time in a place, preserving and not fainting, constantly waiting, constantly ready. As you know, Paul and Kiera Curtis came up and they talked about having a young one and serving. They know that being part, devoting themselves to this community is part of what it means to be part of the koinonia. I love that. And so the early church, we see them devoted, steadfast, continuing all the time in their fellowship, persevering in their fellowship, co constantly fellowshipping together, right? This is the life of the early church. I love uh, John Ortberg, uh, who's a pastor in California, who said uh, when they were eating grits, his friend asked this lady in a restaurant, the server, and said, uh, what is a grit? And uh, the server looked at him and she said, honey, they don't come by themselves, right? <laughs> Grit, grits do not exist in isolation from one another, right? And like the church, we come together. We exist together. We don't come on our own, as it were. And we resist the devil together. We, re we, we resist the schemes of the devil together. And not only do we resist the schemes of the devil together, we are victorious together. Loving one another through the pain, through the hardship, through the temptation. Listen to Jesus talk about the church and the gates of hell. Listen to this. Speaking to Peter, he says, and I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hate. Hades will not overcome it. Now, Catholics, Protestants, Anabaptists have wrestled with the, with the deep meaning of these words, okay? We're going to put that aside for a second. But there are two very obvious things that Catholics, Protestants, and Anabaptists can all agree on. Number one, Jesus says, I will build my church, okay? So we can agree on that. And number two, he says, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it or overcome it. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that the gathered people of God, the church together, is moving forward. It's moving forward. And the gates of hell can't stand against it. Right? That's the, that's the image. It's not like hell is coming after. It's the church is this advanced movement crushing the gates of hell, storming into Hades, the place of the dead, and offering life to those living in death. Right? It's powerful. It's this advance of the church. So we're charging the gates of hell, which is the epicenter of death. And Jesus sees this church, his people, charging death itself, and the gates can't keep us out. The gates are not strong enough. If you are coming today with very little hope in what Jesus is doing, I just want you to hear Jesus' words. His belief is that what he is doing in us, the gates of hell cannot stand it, cannot stand against it. Only together do we see death defeated. Only together do we see the victory of Jesus, supporting one another, praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another, walking with each other. And it's only together we see death start to work backwards and people's lives experiencing that joy, that freedom, and that victory. Uh, the other day when I was working on this message, it was really cool. I had an opportunity to meet a friend, and uh, I've known him since uh, 2001. So we have these 20, 23 years of friendship, and we, were, um, we met at Trinity Western, and so we there, um, it was, grabbed a coffee, and we were just kind of walking around the campus. And... Uh, and we paused under a tree, <laughs> and he prayed for me, and I had a chance to pray for him. And, uh, and, and I'll just say, it's been really interesting to preach these last eight weeks, because uh, actually, um, Kevin, our pastor at the Aldergrove campus, was saying the same thing, that when working on these sermons on spiritual warfare, my mind has been really foggy, like I, I haven't been able to concentrate very well, and it's really weird, because I haven't experienced this in other series before. And, uh, and anyway, so one day I was deeply encouraged, because I heard my, my mentor, whose name is Daryl Johnson, he was saying, whenever I write on spiritual warfare, my head gets really foggy. I was like, oh, good, phew, <laughs> okay, so I'm not alone. And he said, and it was funny, because he heard that N.T. Wright said, every time I write on spiritual warfare, my head gets foggy. And I'm like, oh, good, okay, so N.T. Wright as well, so this is good. So I'm not alone in this. And, and I was telling my friend at Trinity, I said, like, oh, my head's really foggy. And I just need clarity. Um, and so he prays for me. He prays for me under this tree. We're just having coffee. And, you know, I hop in my car, and I drive back to the church. And I come back to the church, and I'm just, I had clarity. <laughs> I start typing. I start feeling inspired. And I'm so grateful because it wasn't just me. It wasn't me by myself. It was my friend who laid hands on me. And he said, come, Lord Jesus, move in Matthew's life. Give him clarity as he prepares this sermon. You know, remove the foggy head and come with your clarity. And just, I just, I'm, I'm literally, I, this is like the smallest, tiniest story. But obviously, we experience great, greater things than that. But I just share it with you as like maybe a simple, normal example of moments where we can reach out to friends and say, can you pray for me? I'm struggling in this way and experiencing the power of community that, that I needed my friend to lay hands and to pray for me under that tree. Anyway, and the Apostle Paul agrees. He said, listen to what he writes. He says this. His intent, that's God, was to show through the church, so you underline that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be, made, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So these are the powers and principalities. Just pause. These are the, these are the dark forces of evil, right? 
according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. What's, what's Paul saying? He's saying through the church, it's God's design that through the church, through his people, the manifold wisdom of God would be known to the dark powers of the world. What is he doing? God's showing off. God's like, look at my people. Hey, dark powers, look at my people, right? The dark powers, the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms, they look at the church and they see the wisdom of God. The dark powers look at this church. It's so funny how we feel, we sometimes feel frail and weak and tiny, right? But God's like, look at my people. Look what's going on. Look at the wisdom. Look at my wisdom at work. Look at my victory at work. And the dark powers look at us and see what's happening among us. And the dark powers, they, 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 they look at us and they see a healed people. And they see a people of purity. And they see a reconciled people. And they see a people of love and generosity and justice and mercy and grace and hope. And the dark powers see all that and they hate it. They hate it. But Jesus is like, there you go. This is how it works now. This is the manifold wisdom of God. So the church is news to the devil and news to the demonic that their days are numbered. Okay? Let me say that again. The church is news to the devil, news to the demonic that their days are numbered. The church is a flag planted. The church is a picture in all, to all forms of darkness that Jesus wins, that Jesus is winning, that Jesus has won and will always win. The church is Christ's counterculture. The church is Christ's counterculture. See, in a culture of loneliness and isolation, may our church be a counterculture of love and family, right? In a culture of polarization and anger, may our church be a counterculture of reconciliation. In a culture of political ideologies, that pull us apart, may our church be a counterculture where we learn the way of the kingdom of God, the political reality of Jesus as king. In a culture of fear around money and investments, may our church be a counterculture where we practice generosity, thankfulness, and the freedom of stewarding all that God has richly given us. In a culture where sex has become king, and attractions have become identities, may our church become a counterculture offering a new vision of identity, a new vision of singleness, a new vision of sex and marriage that leads to life. In a culture of war, may our church be a counterculture of peacemaking. In a culture of bitterness, may our church be a counterculture of forgiveness. And in a culture of pride, may our church be a counterculture of humility. Do you see how this works? And T. Wright asks a great question. He says, are our churches, in the sort of life they lead, posing the kind of challenge to the powers of evil which provokes a reaction? Because if we don't feel a reaction, you know, are we truly living in obedience to Christ? It's a, provo it's a very provocative question. And I have to ask it in my life. In the way in which I am living along with you, together, is our church a threat in any way to the devil? Are we challenging the powers of evil as we live out this faith together? It's a convicting question. Now, we're not perfect, right? 
We're not perfect at all, but the church is Jesus's plan. And listen to Peter who writes this about God's people. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Just listen to that. That's who you are. That's who you are. And it's you who are the royal priesthood and the holy nation and God's treasured special possession. But why? To declare his praises, right? That we were taken from darkness and brought into light. And so it's together we, that, that we declare those praises. And I'm grateful for all of you, like even when we're not feeling it, that we show up in worship and we start to sing out words that maybe we don't yet feel, right? But they are true. And as we sing these true words, then God begins to form us and shape us. And we declare his praises and we celebrate all that he has done. So remember, one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to isolate us. And so I want to ask you this question. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Because we can understand this as a theory, right? I'm part of the church, right? I'm part of the, the big C church. But are you part of a, of a community of love and care and accountability and people that will really truly make you the casserole when you're going through a hard time, people that will truly actually pray, not just randomly say they're gonna pray, but they genuinely pray for you. They listen to verses of scripture for you. They share words with you from the Lord. They, they ask you hard questions. They're the ones that lean into your life when others are afraid to because <laughs> they love you so much, right? Who are you walking with? Let me ask you this way. Who are your spiritual friends? Who are you linking arms with to fight the schemes of the devil? You cannot do it alone. When hard times come, where's your community? One of his greatest tactics is to isolate us, to cut us off from our own people, to cut us off from the pack, right? Uh, one of the images that I share at the Alpha Course that has been really helpful for me are those briquettes, those little coal briquettes, you know? And, what do you, and when, you're, when, you're, when you're out in a park or something and you're cooking a barbecue and you bring those little coal pieces and you put them together and you light them and then after a while they move from black to red, right? And they're all glowing red hot and they're together. And then one of them, let's say, topples off the mound, right? <laughs> or kind of rolls off and maybe it's, you know, kind of apart and it's there on its own. And if you, you know, even if you, you remove it and you just set it there and what happens, it grows cold. It grows cold. But all you have to do in order for this little cold briquette to, to glow red again is, do, is what? Bonk. Red. It's red, right? It's on fire again, right? It's glowing red hot again. You know, all, all you did was just move it close. There's something powerful about that. That in some ways, I just show up with my body. I just, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to come. I don't want to be part. They're going to ask me questions about faith. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to read the Bible. I'm going to have to be vulnerable. And I just show up. And then I glow red hot, <laughs> right? Because they're there and they love me, right? And so much when COVID just tried to pull us back and we're going, no, it's, it's, this, it's this togetherness. It's, it's when we come together 
and, we, and we're able to actually glow hot again. Right? It's so simple. A friend of mine, a friend of mine uh, who won't mind me sharing his name because it's a positive story, <laughs> his name's Rodrigo, and uh, he, he chatted with me one time. He's so amazing, and he, he said, uh, Matthew, we need to talk. And I said, okay, and he said, he said, I need you, brother. That's what he said. He says, I need your voice. I need your insight. <laughs> and he referenced his baptism. He says, when I got baptized, he's talking years ago. He's a pastor, right? He's years, like, he's like, I think he's in his 50s. And he's like, he got baptized years ago. He's like, when I, when I got baptized, I died to individualism. So I'm here today to hear from my brother. That's what he said. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing, Rodrigo. Thank you. Thank you for that. It was such a, a cool opportunity for me to hear. He's practicing his baptism, that he, he was baptized into a family of faith. Now, I want to say this. It's not just us necessarily being together. The way we grow red hot is when there is vulnerability and confession, okay? Some of us have experienced church as a loneliness when we're surrounded by people. And you know a hundred names, right? But there's, there's not that deeper level of confession and vulnerability, right? And so we know what it's like to be lonely in a crowd. So I'd like to actually get us to think a, little, a layer deeper, right? A layer deeper. So who is it that can hear the confession of sin in my life and pray for me? Who, who are those people? Who are those people that I can really say, I'm having a rough time and I need you and I need your prayers and I need you to listen to God on behalf of me. <laughs> What's God telling you about what I'm going through? So let's not be lonely in a crowd. Jesus is brilliant. He had 72 disciples that were this wider community. But then he had a smaller group of 12, right? And then he had a smaller group of three, Peter, James, and John. Three, 12, 72. What we've been trying to do here as a church is to model that. Imagine the 72 is just the people here at church that you run into, right? your fellow apprentices of Jesus, right? It's beautiful. You need the 72, right? But then who are your 12? Who's that life group, size group that you're walking with? But then who are those three, right? Who, for men, who are those three men who are walking with you? For women, who are those three women who are just right there? They're able to hear the depth of your heart. Right? Three. 12, 72. It's Jesus' way. We want to be apprenticed to Jesus. Let's do it this way, right? Let's do it his way. And some of you are like, where do I start? That, Matthew, all of this sounds amazing. Sounds big and beautiful. It's awesome. I want to be part of a pack, a pod, a herd, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm in, you know. Uh, where do I start? And that's the thing. It, it, it is a slow thing, but uh, like raking leaves in a yard, you just start somewhere, Okay. Just put the rake down and start. Just start, right? There's no key place to start raking. You just put the rake down and do it, okay? And so that's why we're saying some of these are really simple things. You start serving on a team, and you start to get to know people, right, and build relationship. You go to the Life Together course, which introduces you to life groups. You, do, you, you know, people take alpha. People, I don't know. 
I don't know where you start, but we have all these on-ramps, you know, on-ramps on onto a freeway, right? Our church has provided all these on-ramps. I'm just encouraging you to take one, just take one of them, right? Whether it's a program, a course, serving, being part of something. And as you grow, you just become intentional and watch God over the next few years form the 72, the 12, the three. I want to end this eight-week series by going back to the cross. It's at the cross where Jesus completed the new creation because he said, it is finished. Like God said on day six, Jesus on day six gives up his life and he says, it is finished. And in that moment, he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He defeated the darkness and has given us life and life to the full. He is Christ our victor, Christus victor, Christ our victorious one. Listen to Colossians. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And as we truly end the series, don't worry, there's not a week nine of a seven-week series. Next week we begin Advent uh, to remind us of the birth of Christ. But as we end this, truly, I, I just need you to leave this place knowing that the battle is done, that Christ is your victor, that if you are in Christ, then you are victorious because you're seated with him in the heavenly realms, that you are clothed with Christ, that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, so that when you and I pray, that we pray against the, the, the evil and darkness, that we pray, says Pete Gregg, we pray from a place of victory and joy. And I'm gonna have us do that today, to pray from a place of victory and joy. Can we stand together? As we stand together, as we end this series, I wanna let you know our prayer team is gonna be here. They're gonna come forward. And if anything in the last eight weeks has stirred your heart, if you are longing for freedom, if you're longing to move out of isolation and into community, that God would gift you some spiritual friends, if you would like to pray any of these things on behalf of someone else, if you simply want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have someone pray for you, would you come forward, receive prayer? Would you go to our prayer room? And, and, and I mean this, I've said this numerous times and, I, and it's hard to know if it's happening, but have the freedom in this place to make this whole room a prayer room and to turn to each other Married couples, friends, right? Those of you who are in similar life groups and you're sitting next to each other, that you would turn and say, how can I pray, right? How can I pray for you? And that we'd watch God move in this room today in a beautiful way. And so we wanna pray the Lord's Prayer because the title Deliver Us comes from the Lord's Prayer, right? And so as we end, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Would you pray this with me? Out loud, it'll be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we pray you would come and deliver us, Almighty oh, God and set us into a place of community where there's vulnerability in the confession of sin and rescue us from the, all the isolation where the enemy wants to pull us apart 
and separate us. But Lord, we say together, we are your family. We're your children. Would you unite us together in a deeper way that we would see the power and the victory and the joy and the freedom that only you can provide. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.